what do you want me to do for you? That's a question that uh, we usually like hearing because it means we have the opportunity to ask for something. And it usually indicates a willingness on the part of the other person that they're going to do it for us. So, for example, say a genie pops into your living room, says, what do you want me to do for you? You're going to think long and hard about the three wishes that he's going to grant you. Or say you call the complaint line because you've had a problem with a product and the customer service rep answers. They say, what do you want me to do for you? You're going to say, well, I want you to replace it or I want a refund or I want a credit. If your boss asks you, what do you want me to do for you? You'll say, I want a raise or more time off. I want to work in a different area. Um, I want a promotion. But what if Jesus asked you that question? What if Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer? Depending on what's going on in our lives, we might ask for healing physically or emotionally. Uh, We might ask for a loved one who's far from Christ, that they would come to put their faith in Jesus. We might ask for a reconciled relationship with somebody we care about for a new beginning or maybe for a different job or the finances that we need to put food on the table. What do you want me to do for you? As we continue our sermon series, questions Jesus asks, in our passage for today that Alicia just read a minute ago, Jesus asks that question in two occasions of three different people. There are two brothers in the first part and then a blind man in, in the second. And what they ask of Jesus reveals something. One reveals a, a deep need and, and a deep faith. And the other exposes uh, an area where they need to change and grow and align themselves more with Jesus. First, the blind man. The blind man, when Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He says, oh, well, I want to see. I haven't seen a sunset or a sunrise. Um, I don't know what the face of a child who is giggling looks like. I don't know what my loved ones and family looks like. I want to see. Jesus gives him what he asked for and restores his sight. The, the two brothers, however, do not get what they ask for. They ask for influence and positions of power and, and, and status. And in response, Jesus flips their request on his head. He, he challenges the, the prevailing worldview, the way that they see things, and he challenges us as well. And when he does so, he, he challenges us to think through the answer we give when Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do for you? So let's go back. Let's set the context here. Jesus, as we know, started his earthly ministry, and he handpicked 12 different guys, different backgrounds, different occupations. Didn't seem to be much rhyme or reason, but he gathered these 12 guys together, and he, he then poured into them. He mentored them. He taught them. He modeled things for them because he was preparing them for the unleashing of the kingdom of God on earth, the establishment of the church of God. And it must have been a rush. Can you imagine being one of those 12 guys? Can you imagine being asked by Jesus to shadow him and follow him for three years? They, they basically must have thought we hooked our wagon to a rising star. Uh, I mean, people are gathering in crowds. People are coming to faith in him. They're putting their trust in him. Uh, he's doing miracles. He's getting opposition, of course, from powerful people. But that's because he's such a threat to them. The people love him. These guys are in the inner circle. They get access to Jesus' thoughts, his, 
what he likes to eat, you know, his sense of humor. They, they get to see him when he's asleep and when he's awake. What, a, what an amazing thing. And then guess what they start to do? One day as they're walking along the road to where they would be staying for the night, they begin to whisper and to talk and discuss amongst themselves, basically, who's going to be the most successful. Kind of like middle school guys maybe do, like, okay, who's going to be the best athlete? Who's going to make the most money? You know, things like that. That's kind of what they're doing. And they're, they're, they're like, who's going to be the most famous disciple? Who's going to be the most crucial and important to Jesus? And how does Jesus respond to this line of thinking? Uh, we look in Mark 9 first before we move to Mark 10. Mark 9:33. It says, They came to Capernaum, and when he was safe at home, he asked them, Jesus asked them, What were you discussing on the road? The silence was deafening, which, of course, tells us that they knew they should not have been talking about what they were talking about. The silence was deafening. They had been arguing with one another over who among them was greatest. He sat them down and summoned the twelve. So you want first place? Then take the last place and be the servant of all. That's pretty clear. Pretty straightforward. Pretty direct. So you'd think that they would take that to heart. They'd been called out. They knew what they were talking about was, was inappropriate, was wrong. He calls them out on it. He tells them exactly how they should approach life. But then in the next chapter, the same issue rears its head again. Take a look at chapter 10, verses 35 through 37. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Kind of presumptuous. But okay, you don't get if you don't ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, that one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So basically they are calling dibs. You know, uh, We know you told us you know, a chapter before, a little bit earlier, first will be last, last will be first, all that stuff. If we want to be a servant, we want to be great, we have to serve. But that applies to those ten other guys. We're special. We know that you're, we are your favorites. So we call dibs. We want to be on the right and we want to be on the left. We want special privileges. So do for us what we ask for us. And then Jesus responds to them. And he uses uh, the title, Son of Man, which reflects both his divinity and his humanity. And Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is saying, you want to be great? You want to make an impact? You want your life to matter? He says, well, follow my example. Don't seek to be served, but to serve and to give away your life, to spend your life for the sake of others. That doesn't come naturally, does it? You know, human nature, we tend to self-preservation, put ourselves first, you know, uh, live our best life now, you know, live our own truth, you know, accumulate experiences and achievements. Uh, that's that's kind of what what our instinct is, and that's what the world kind of pushes us toward. So so how do we how do we live like Jesus challenges us to live? How do we do that? Well, we we look at Jesus' example, and Jesus who was elevated above all things 
Through him, all things were created. He was there from before the beginning of time. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the highest place possible. He moved down from there. He moved from up there to down here. He says, if you want to be great, you need to do the same thing. You need to humble yourselves. You need to lower yourselves and put others first. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes what it meant for Jesus to move down for us. Philippians 2. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, therefore, he says, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Jesus literally went from the highest place possible. He came down to earth. Humble beginnings. And he knew what it was to be hungry and thirsty and lonely and suffer pain and grief. And he moved down to a place of service and a place of sacrifice. And the result was he was lifted to the highest place and Lord over all. Jesus says, if you want to be great, you humble yourself, you move down, and then the Lord will exalt you in due time. You know, four years ago, I had the opportunity on my sabbatical to visit some ministry partners and friends in Turkey. And while I was there, I had the chance to tour an underground city. Um, it, was a, it was this incredible city that had been carved uh, into the, the rock and the stone and the dirt. Um, and it was probably over 3,000 years ago, they estimated. And um, in the centuries of the 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th centuries, Christians in the area would use this underground city as a place to hide from invaders who would come to capture them, uh, to torture or kill Christians if they did not give up their faith in Christ. And so we took this tour, and it was an amazing few hours. We, we, we could hold up to 5,000 people. It had water wells, stables, air shafts, graveyards, churches, places for worship, all these things. It had four levels. The deepest was 75 uh, uh, meters or yards beneath the earth. At the beginning of the tour, one thing they told us was, this is, only, this is one way only. So once you start going down. There aren't any exits. You had to move all the way down if you wanted to be able to move all the way back up. If we want to live a life of purpose and impact, if we want to follow Jesus' example, we must move down to ultimately be moved up. Take a look now again at Mark chapter 10, verse 43. Not so with you, he says. Don't view life as other people do Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, for most people, this is a foreign concept. You know, be last so you can be first. Go down so you can be exalted and raised up and recognized. That does not compute. We don't want to be served. We want to be served. 
And, and when we have that attitude, our goals are the opposite of Jesus. And what that means is that when we live that way, our lives are the opposite of Jesus in terms of influence, impact, and eternal significance. So, so, so why then? Why do we trade a life of significance for a life of, of self-centeredness? Why is it that we will do anything but give of our resources and our time, anything but selflessly serve, even when it costs us the life that, that we long for? I think there are two main reasons. First, how we live exposes what we think, what we believe. And we we often don't think that serving and sacrificing will give us the life that we long for. We're afraid that if we give, we're going to lose. That when it comes to serving, whether it's giving resources or time, we think it will cost us more in the end than we're going to get out of it. It, it, The math doesn't make sense to us. And so we believe first is first and last is last. More is more and less is less. But Jesus says, that's not true. This is why Jesus went over this with the disciples time and time and time again. He says the first will be last, but the last will be first. And those who lower themselves and humble themselves and pour their lives out for others, they will be lifted up. So his, struggler, his followers, like us, struggled to get this. Uh, and, and one day Peter said this to Jesus. He says, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. He's basically saying, we have done this service thing. We've been following you. We've been trying to live our lives like you. We've, given, uh, we've lost income. We've given time. Uh, we've lost relationships. We're barely hanging on. So is this worth it, Jesus? Tell us that, that it's worth it. Everything's for fools, throwing away our futures. Tell us, tell us that it's worth this. And Jesus responds in Mark 10, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus is saying there will be sacrifice involved. Serving is not easy. But what will come about in your life is results a hundred times more than whatever you're doing before. It's worth it. It's worth it to live your life like me. You know, Richard Foster once said, wrote this about serving. He makes a distinction. He says, there's a difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. When I choose to serve, I retain control about whom I serve and when I serve. But when I choose to be a servant, I have given up all rights and all control. In other words, service is not about adding another activity to our schedule. Done that, check, move on to something else. Now I can think about myself. It's about being a servant. It's about pouring out our lives. It's, it's giving away and spending our lives for others, wherever God places us, just as Jesus did. And what that is going to look like varies from person to person, of course, depending upon our, our talents, our experiences, our opportunities. But make no mistake, we are all called to serve like this, to live like Jesus, to pour out our lives. It's not just for, you know, super saints or the original 12 or the early church or pastors or missionaries or church leaders. It's for all who say they follow Jesus. 
It's an all-in commitment. It's becoming a servant, not just serving once in a while. It's, it's a full-time occupation and calling because that's what Jesus did. And Jesus calls us to do the same. So when Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do for you? Yes, bring your prayer requests, your concerns to him. But our first and primary answer should be help me to live and love and serve like you, Jesus. I want to close with a final story. I think I've shared this before, but I think it fits in. I've got the microphone, so I'm going to share it anyway. As a kid growing up, I, I, I love stories of the Old West. I think it's because I grew up on a farm north of here and we had horses and we'd break them and train them and work the cattle. And so, you know, you kind of fancy yourself as a cowboy and all that stuff. And, and so I, I kind of was drawn to those sorts of stories. Um, but one, one, uh, one particular story drew my attention because it was, it was the Pony Express. You know, they, they came through parts of Kansas and they were teenage boys and they would ride. It was dangerous and exciting and, 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 and all those things. And I loved to ride and I could do it all day. And, and as I read about it, you, 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 I found out, well, they had to ride 75 to 100 miles a day and they would change horses every 15 to 25 miles. That's some hard riding. And, and other than the mail, the only thing they could carry was they could carry some flour, cornmeal and bacon to whip something up, I guess. And they had a first aid kit, which was turpentine, borax and cream of tartar. So good luck with that. The other thing was that to, to, because speed was such a, so important is that they always rode in their shirt sleeves, nothing to weigh them down. No backpacks, no jackets, even when it was the middle of the winter. Now, how would you recruit volunteers? Or not volunteers. How would you recruit employees to do something like this? I think it'd be hard to do if you put it that, you know, put that uh, this ad out there on, on Indeed.com. I think you wouldn't have many applicants. But here's the ad. It was in the 1860 San Francisco newspaper. It said, wanted young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18. <clears throat> Must be expert writers willing to risk daily. Orphans preferred. They never had a shortage of, of writers. Why was that? I, I think there's something in the human makeup that we, we desire to do something significant, exciting, and adventurous. We want to make an impact. We want to push ourselves. We want to achieve and, and make a difference. The way we can make the biggest difference and the most exciting and dangerous and thrilling and gratifying adventure that there is is serving God is following Jesus, is living our lives like him. And, and, and this job is not for the casually interested. It's it, it, because God asks for our life. It's not a part-time job. He asks for service to him to become a priority, not a pastime. People who give all of their life to him, not just the leftovers of their calendar. It takes a willingness to do whatever God wants and whenever he wants and however he wants It calls for us to lay down our very lives. So let's get personal here. I ask this question, these questions of myself. How can I increasingly give up my life for Jesus? What would that look like? How can I increasingly use more of the time that God has given me? It's not my time. It's the time God has given me. How can I use more of the time God has given me to sacrifice and to serve to show the love of Jesus? How can I give up 
more and more of the resources God has given me. It's not my, they aren't my resources, they're God's. How can I give up more and more of the resources and opportunities God has given me? So ask yourself those questions. Don't leave them rhetorical. Don't let yourself off the hook. Make a plan and follow through. There are countless opportunities in and through the church, like this coming weekend to serve some homes and families in our area or, or in and through our church where the youth or children or adults ministries or visitation with those who are shut in, nonprofits in the community, people in your neighborhood, countless people who have hurts and pains and real needs that, that we can meet if we're willing to pour out our life for them just like Jesus did for us. Because Jesus said, the last will be first. And those who humble themselves will be lifted up. So let's rewrite that job description. Wanted. Gifted volunteers for difficult service in the local expression of the kingdom of God. Motivation to serve should be obedience to God, gratitude, gladness, forgiveness, humility, and love. Service will rarely be glorious. Temptation to quit place of service will sometimes be strong. Volunteers must be faithful in spite of long hours, little or no visible results, and possibly no recognition except from God in eternity. When Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do for you? May we respond, help me to live like you, to give my life like you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is truth and spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the example of Jesus, how you gave your life for us, Jesus, how you poured out your life. You could have stayed in your exalted place, but you came down And because you did, we have life. And now you're exalted above every name. We thank you, Lord, that in your kingdom, as we follow you, though we may be last, ultimately we'll be first. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your life. Help us to live increasingly like you. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask this. Amen. Would you stand as we respond to the word we just received?